Hey, welcome to Not Under the Guise of Science. Uh, we don't know what this is called yet, but it does involve wrestling. And it is still the same basic premise of, I don't know what's necessarily going on, and I'm going to need you to explain it to me. <laughs> My, The only thing I like talking about more than science is professional wrestling. So the fact that you were like, hey, let's do this. I was, yeah. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I went back. I I did the Jim Cornette impression in, in the fucking Anaconda episode, and was like, it felt it felt pretty good. Like I don't I I couldn't think of what he sounds like off the top of my head at the time, and I went back and listened to a couple of episodes of his, uh, or not even episodes, just like clips of his drive-through podcast or whatever okay. it is. And, uh, yeah, just picking stuff that I know about first, because even the stuff I know about, he's so detailed and shit, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. And I guess the what made me think of this is I was watching videos, and I was like, fuck, I gotta Google this, and I gotta Google this. I was like, I wish I could just fucking, I wish I could just ask Shallon what this is. <laughs> and I can. <laughs> so you we'll have, just you have access to that. First of all, but I do want to say I don't claim to be on the level of of Jim Cornette. Not only was he in the business, but he's also considered a historian. He's one of the like he's saved memorabilia and like like if he's forgot more than I know as, as far as he, you know that, that old fucking, cliche. If I'm under <laughs> if I'm understanding correctly, he has like books of just like what his life was at the time, like uh, what are they like planner books, mm-hmm. like keeping track of like what he did on specific dates, and then can go cross reference that with like actual stuff that happened on that day. It, his, it's his main, crazy. The main reason he kept track of that stuff is because he kept track of what the gate was, as far as how many people came there, how much tickets cost, how much should he be getting. How much should him and his guys be getting? So that that's kind of what it, why he kept track of that kind of stuff. It was okay. all about you know, yeah. That's he didn't want to get fucked brilliant. over. Yeah, because especially back then, like the whole carny term, like the the wrestling promoters back then were crooks. Like they, they, if they could just make off with the payday and fuck you over and bounce, like the, the, there were cases of that shit going down in the seventies and eighties. That recent. In the seventies and the eighties, yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah, before the internet, basically, you could just go to a different town, change your name, you have all the money from the last promotion, you have all the all the capital up front to put down, rip everybody off, right, like the monorail guy in the Simpsons, <laughs> yeah. Lyle Landley, something like that, right. <laughs> I don't remember the name. That's why I just went generic monorail guy. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the big one's name is Bitey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why else would I remember the names of such towns as Ogdenville and West Haverbrook? (laughs) If not for that fucking shit. Yeah, isn't it, like those could be real town names, but it's just like it's right on the line. Like I right. don't know, <laughs> it, it's too much. 
it's too much weird going on here. <laughs> but I think I'm pretty sure they are real places. I think I they just doubt it. Yeah, the most ridiculous places. I think that's when Conan was still writing for the show. So he had okay. he had that that Harvard studying in there. With no, it doesn't mean he just he doesn't matter what school he went to. He was a fucking he a random maniac. Shit. <laughs> um so yeah so what we're gonna do here is watch this video do a little screen share and i'm gonna ask questions and this will be news to you as well i am gonna say hold on pause this for a second every now and again okay in case it goes too quickly and yeah this specifically we strongly encourage you look at the fucking show info so you can watch this video that we're talking about which is again is entirely ripped off of our other podcast <laughs> or, our, <laughs> or main, however this works. Yeah. Um. Any other things you'd like to discuss before we get into it? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, I think we're ready to rock. All right. Should be fun. Cool beans. Back in the day, wrestling was real. The internet, which would open the door like never before, was the equivalent of voodoo, and what happened in that 20 by 20 ring was serious business. At this time, kayfabe was at the height of its powers, a device put in place to keep everything as legit uh, as Pause it a second. Even Sorry. away from sure. the crowds, you were expected to keep up appearances, right down to heels being heels yes, in the sir. real world. So I just want to say, for those who don't know, kayfabe, it's kind of like Pig Latin. Uh like fake almost if you were to take that and flip it around you get that kayfabe kind of thing there was uh yeah yeah so in in wrestling lingo that's and believe it or not that's actually before snoop was doing his for shizzle they used to throw that uh zz in the middle of words and in carney speak they called it so i mean kayfabe came out of that it's one of those uh one of those words that was only supposed to be understood by the people that are in the wrestling business. Only the hoodwinkers themselves. That's right. Yeah. We're supposed to know. All right. Yeah. I was going to ask. I, I never knew where it was from. It's like this word sounds like it could be other words. Right. Or it, it sounds like a couple of words bumped into each other in the hallway. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fused. So, yeah, that's it. All right. There's a. There's an old boy. lady ask you for help upstairs. <laughs> it's your responsibility Mr. to hell her down those stairs instead. Actually, that may be too much. Which, while not as strong today, kayfabe is still an important tool when trying to get an audience to. I I do love that idea of it though the the staying in character yeah. all the fucking time, which I if I'm making this up, correct me. I'm pretty sure that. Not only was Piper fucking amazing at it, he enjoyed it. I don't doubt it, yeah. The, the, the people that were really good at being bad guys, when they heard booze, it was the same as you know the fans telling them, we love you. That means they're yeah. doing their job correctly, they're getting the crowd <laughs> into it. And I mean, back then, the bad guys and the good guys, they didn't even like ride the same bus together. They wouldn't be seen at the same restaurant together. Like, yeah, they, they had to stay in it all the time. It's a weird kind of thing where, like, if you're you're on a TV show and you're an actor and you're playing this character and then the TV show is over and you go home and then you go shopping and you still have to be that character when you go shopping. Like, everyone yeah. else is like, yeah. You go to the fucking supermarket. 
You just have to be. Oh man, that does sound exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be awesome to be there. You just bite beers open. Yeah, just right? walk through the aisles with doing the the hands <laughs> over the head. <laughs> <laughs> just crushing beers like that or just shoving food in their head yeah. full. <laughs> and what's even better for them it's like people look at them and go oh, those lovable scamps right. <laughs> you do what you will butch and luke yeah just go ahead <laughs> your money's no good here <laughs> Much like most of your front teeth, your money's not good here. <laughs> Did I get their names right, Butch and Luke? Butch and Luke, yeah. Yeah. We, nice. we got 33 seconds into this video. <laughs> Bear with us. <laughs> Spend their disbelief, and we all go nuts when the fourth wall is broken down. Even if it's just a bit. I'm Simon from What Culture, and this is 10 infamous moments when wrestlers broke kayfabe. Number 10, The Undertaker sheds a tear. If there's any character mm. more protected in pro wrestling than The Undertaker, I'm not aware of it. See, I Outside didn't know about of this WWE one at all. programming, you barely ever see the dead man. Even videos of him dead out from time to time and met with shock and awe. Well, He's it not might on be. social oh. media. He rarely does interviews. <laughs> he doesn't sit with the rest of the locker room during the Hall of Fame. He has an assistant that buys him groceries. This whole thing maybe, isn't true anymore. Probably. But... Retired, During the he's, night he's after WrestleMania 24 yeah. and Ric Flair's wonderful retirement ceremony, even Taker couldn't hold his emotions in. Coming to show his respect for the nature boy after the cameras went off air, the phenom welled up as the two embraced. Obviously, Flair was crying too. He yeah. always cries because it was yet again the greatest night of his life. Still, though, it's not often you see The Undertaker smile, let alone shed a tear. All right, so real quick on that. So my first thought when I saw that is... Why was that not a? So that was a kayfabe break. Why? Why was that different from when Shawn Michaels mouthed "I love you" right before he gave Ric Flair sweet chin music? I guess the difference is in storyline. Shawn Michaels said he always looked up to Ric Flair, and he didn't want to have to do this, and it was kind of like you know that that was the build to it was that he didn't want to retire Ric Flair, but he was going to have to. Oh okay, yeah. all right. So, so then it wasn't breaking kayfabe. It was written into. It was written yeah. in the storyline. Okay. Yep. All right. It was part of it. And I also like to point out that that was uh, Ric Flair. I mean, what what year did that happen in? That had to be early two thousands, right? Uh, which, which one? The one that we just watched, or the yeah, the one that we just watched there with Undertaker and Ric Flair. Uh, I don't know if it's the year Ric Flair. Regardless, that was probably his seventh retirement, and he had gone on to retire a handful of more times after that. Like <laughs> it came to the point where Ric Flair retirements were just like a thing. It wasn't really like no, he's not leaving anyway. He had his he most recently he had his quote unquote last match. He it was like a tag match with him and uh, Alberto, uh, not Alberto Del Rio, the other guy. Um, his son-in-law, I forget his name now. He used to be in AEW. Um, Andrade, I'm sorry. But uh, 
Ric Flair and Andrade was a tag team against whoever. And I mean, Ric Flair's got to be like 80 something now. He's... Wait a second. Is that Andre? Andre. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Andrade <laughs> El Idolo. I've never I've never heard his name said out loud. <laughs> Andre. <yeah>. Andre. <laughs> um Yeah, so we, so he just wrestled Andre and he was on a take um a couple months ago, less than a year ago I would say. Really? Yeah, he's in his 80s, but he, he was on the team. It was a tag match, so it, it was him mm. and Andre against whoever. They, I forget who they wrestled, but one of those things where you can kind of hide somebody in a tag match and just have them come in and do a couple things and then tag in and out. But, uh, Even an 80-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> Even an 80-year-old. You just have, you know, he has to throw his weak fist out there, and you sell it like you got shot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's been like 30. I know Ric Flair used to be a big guy. He was a tough guy, but I don't know. It, I'm going to say 25 years, a lot of the population can beat the shit out of him. It's not <laughs> It's not tough anymore, my man. You think he's got one more retirement after this one in him? <laughs> Maybe. He'll certainly try, right? Uh, yeah. If someone will buy a ticket, he'll do it. Checks out. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. Do you know this Gee, one? I do know this one. All right. Yeah. JBL, was was he WWE? He was WWE. John mm. Bradshaw Layfield. ECW is known for its uh, hardcore style, which usually means weapons and no rules. What what was I what was JBL's deal? Was he he was WWE, right? And then yeah. to so according to what this is during the ECW invasion. And so Blue Meanie was ECW and JBL was WWE. Okay. Yes. And he was just like a cowboy, that was JBL's deal. At this point, yeah. Yeah, basically that was kind of his his thing all except when he was with the Acolytes and they were kind of like uh they started out as as demonic and then turned into just like a wait a minute, fucking Bradsh- Bradshaw is JBL? Yeah, Justin Bradshaw Layfield. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I had no idea. I've heard JBL said forever, and I, I don't think I realized. Justin Hawk guy. Bradshaw, now Justin Bradshaw <laughs> Layfield. <Yeah. laughs> That's him. Yeah. Oh man, so he he finally got to do. <laughs> They're like, hey Bradshaw, are you are you tired of smoking cigars and playing cards with Farouk? <laughs> well, we got a cowboy hat for you, fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we always used to joke they had the best job. Yeah. Like, it was just any anytime you cut to them, they were just playing cards, drinking beers, and smoking cigars. Yeah. And then you would give them money to beat someone's ass and then right back to where they were. <laughs> bring their little table around from town to town to play cards. <laughs> but back to what you were saying, you're right. They started out as demonic. Yeah, they were right? Undertaker's the- acolyte. That they were the acolytes. The acolytes. Yeah. 
Yeah, were they bur- both re uh, like reinvented by that point? Yeah, for Rook and Bradshaw, like or like was that their introduction to the new characters that they were, or was there like a kind of a gradual yep. change into that? Or that was, yeah, they okay. they kind of came out of nowhere because before that, Farouk was the Nation of Domination guy, and Bradshaw, like I said, he was uh, just a cowboy. He was for a little while. He was one of the the Blackhawks. It was Justin Hawk Bradshaw, and it was him and his whoever his cowboy tag team partner was. But yeah, then they kind of disappeared for a little bit, and then came back as Undertaker's lackeys when he was doing his whole Ministry of Darkness thing. Oh no, shit! Which yeah. I. I loved that whole arc, by the way. That was awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wasn't crazy about the the corporate here's, ministry. That here's a, a very, sharp, very obscure, funny tidbit. Uh, Christian uh, was part of that whole corporate ministry thing. Mm. And there was one episode of Raw where Stone Cold... Steve Austin got strapped to the Undertaker symbol and like crucified basically and raised up. Yeah, I remember that. So there was a game Christian and Stone Cold used to play backstage where one would say, don't look at me and then give a time. So it'd be, don't look at me 20 seconds. And the other one couldn't look at the other person for however long. <laughs> while, <laughs> while Stone Cold is being strapped to the thing, if you go back and look, Christian leans in and whispers, don't look at me. And Stone Cold says, how long? And Christian says, whatever time. And he will, Stone Cold does not look in that direction with where Christian's standing <laughs> on, on TV. They pulled this shit. <laughs> I heard that I in various it. podcasts of them. Yeah. Because it's, it's still just a job at the end right. of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just breaking their balls with their buddy at work. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're right. So now now we're a whole minute 58 <laughs> <laughs> into this eight minute 48 second video. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, JBL Blue Meanie. Number nine, so this, JBL this beats happen. up the Blue Meanie. Pro wrestling is all about trust. You'll often hear wrestlers saying they put their bodies in someone else's hands when they enter the ring, and it's true. Anyone can decide to take a cheap shot. There's not much you can do about it. This is exactly what happened at WWE's ECW-inspired one-night stand pay-per-view in 2005, when JBL thought it'd be a great idea to beat up the Blue Meanie for real. As the two companies squared off in a brawl, Bradshaw laid into the Meanie, leaving his face black and blue, something that was apparent more as soon black as the ruckus calmed down. Yeah. What's worse, no one actually knows why it happened. The Blue Meanie has said in the past he thought JBL just didn't like him, given he was from ECW and not your typical blue-collar athletic type. That's still no reason to beat the bajingas out of someone. So you just beat the shit out of him? Yeah. And I think it was more than... Uh, like, th- there was some kind of... Uh, like, social media wasn't even a thing then, but... Um, Somehow there was some back and forth where JBL was saying that this the stuff they do in ECW is garbage and Blue Meanie kind of stood up for himself. And JBL basically was like, you you wouldn't last five minutes in the ring with me. And, you know, kind of, I, I would have to like get the specifics, but it was along those lines. And then it was finally like, okay, this is the first time they're in the ring together. Like you, if, if you watch that JBL, there's, there's, 30 people and 20, 30 people in the ring, however many. JBL mm. makes a beeline to Blue Meanie and just starts punching him in the face. 
Like there's no holding back, or right? that's why he looked like he was, you know, punched in the face multiple times by a six foot eight dude because that's liter- <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> so in in that type of match, like like your uh, like your Royal Rumble or your uh, or, or your your Battle Royal format, yeah, is do they just know the order? Of who's going out? Like, it's not necessarily set in stone who's doing what? I think they, they have an idea. Um, and newer wrestlers do it different than old wrestlers. I think a, a lot of newer guys do like to do more of the memorization and, and talking about stuff that they're going to do because some of the things that they do are just, you know, way over the top. They kind of kind of talk through it. I think right. in the old days it was more on the fly and they, they knew how it was going to end, who was going to win. I I don't know if they memorized the order of elimination. Maybe like the refs let them know, but I think there's probably certain dudes that know I'm going in here for a couple seconds and getting knocked out. And some dudes know I'm going to eliminate 10 people, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. All right. Yeah. Cause that, that seems like a lot of, a lot of stuff to plan. They 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 gotta allow for some freewheeling in there. There's just too much going on. And usually the best shit is the freewheeling where they just kind of come up with stuff on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right. Mean Gene Potty Mouth. Interesting. Number eight. Mean Gene. Mean Gene Oakland is a hero, responsible for conducting some of the best interviews in pro wrestling history. He was the consummate professional, unless a sign fell off the wall. Preparing to stick a microphone under the noses of ravishing Rick Rude and Bobby the Brain Heenan at SummerSlam 1989, the pay-per-view logo hanging in the background fell from the wall, causing <laughs> Oakland to just exclaim, his tirade carried on too as he insulted whoever put the sign up in the first place this wasn't even the real problem though given it was never meant to air the interview had been filmed earlier in the day and someone in the production truck rolled the wrong footage whoops it's <laughs> fantastic that you gotta find excellent. that video yeah <laughs> i've never seen that and quick aside on this uh specific thing i was watching Again, I said I've been down been I've been down the rabbit hole. But I went down a uh Bobby the Brain rabbit hole cuz I forgot. I only know what I remember of him when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's like now what I know now as an adult, like this guy was probably fucking amazing and I had I had no idea how well I could appreciate what he was doing at the time, but the best. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I just looked. I looked at the roster of the Heenan family. Like, just, holy yeah. shit, he had fucking. I can't remember any of their names at the moment, but like, he had he had such a good stable of guys. Everybody was in there at some. Well, not everybody, but like all the all the big bad guys were in there at some point. They made their way in, made their way out. I remembered that. Uh, I remembered Ultimate Warrior saying he was going to stuff him in a weasel suit. I remember that. And then I went and looked that up because I didn't remember if it happened or not. And then, yes, it did. They even made an action figure of him in a weasel <sighs> suit, I believe, which solid marketing. And then I was like, well, what? I can't remember what the Ultimate Warrior's closer is, or his uh, finisher, excuse me. And it was, it was just the uh, the Gorilla Press. 
it was the gorilla press was really uh, the setup, and then he right. would hit the ropes and do the splash. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, guy yeah. laying down that he would do the big splash on him. That was the yeah. That went back when your finisher was no, 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 no. I'm not just coming off the ropes. I'm gonna do something to you first, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because Hogan's yeah. was the fucking. The big he would boot do the big boot to take you and down. Then he would hit the ropes, yeah, yeah, and then hit the leg drop. <laughs> yep. I mean, you could win a match with a leg drop too. I mean, now they <laughs> the fuck the Canadian destroyer doesn't end matches. That's insane to me. It's a it's a front flip pile driver that the other guy clearly has to flip over with you to do, but like. <laughs> That's hospitalization. How would people just like hit me again? <laughs> I remember. Like, oh, God, yeah. No, say it's Zangief from Street Fighter. It's doing that shit and people just getting up. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Zangief. <That's> right. <laughs> the, I, I remember watching. I, I think it was SummerSlam. In like eighteen or nineteen, like hadn't watched a pay per view in forever, and there's just dudes just doing flips in the middle, like just just running up to the guy, no ropes involved, just run up and just just do a front flip into a splash, like real quick, like just yeah. sneak that in there, and it's like people are just going upside down for fun right now, right? Like I, I remember that- I used to like counting. How many times RV, RVD would be upside down in a match? Because nobody would get even close to that, and now, now it's it's not uncommon. It's con- yeah, exactly. It's common. Just doing five flips over the course of a match. And then scale go go back to Hogan and Warrior doing the fucking let's play mercy for five minutes where they put their <laughs> you know the the knuckles up and just kind of see who can push back and who's stronger and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah. It's definitely evolved. I mean, there's pluses and minuses, but we don't have to get into that in, on this particular podcast. We could save that for a future episode. My opinions on the state of wrestling today, but. It's one of those things where I, I love what it is, but also miss what it used to be. Like it's a little bit of both. You know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not one of those, this isn't wrestling. Like, okay, no, this is this is different, but I'll put it this sums it up. I would rather the crowd chant boo and yay than this is awesome. You know, because boo and yay means I give a fuck. I'm into this. I want this guy to win. This is awesome means I'm watching a show and this is a spectacular stunt performance. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little bit emotionally detached. Yeah, boo and yay are uh, guttural, instinctual responses. Yeah. yeah, boo and yay mean I forgot this is fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boo and yay are just, ha! Yeah. Like, like that's <laughs> right. There is there's this no is words. Awesome means I appreciate the athleticism. These dudes are fucking phenomenal. Like I could never do this. I love watching it, but it's just it's a notch below, slightly below for me. For me personally, I know a lot of wrestling nerds are going to get upset if I'm not 
all on board with that shit. But you know, I was born <laughs> in 1980. It is what it is. <laughs> uh, who throws a battery? Number seven, the heart battery kid. Don't throw batteries. Don't at spit on me. I shouldn't need to tell just you the- that. But just, just in case game. you're dragged you... up or no one has actually right. sat you down, <laughs> looked you right in the eye and explained what a battery is for, they are not for hurling at people's faces. So, it's no surprise that Shawn Michaels had something of a hissy fit when some moron did decide to throw a battery at him at an event before WrestleMania 14. Smacking him straight oh, in the head, even at a regular. so outraged he cut his promo short, jumped out the ring and walked backstage, where he then got into an argument with Vince McMahon. Vince would later claim Sean wasn't in a good place at the time, but regardless where you are, you're going to be pretty mad if a device intended for powering things whacks you between the eyes. All right. Wow. Yeah, throwing batteries. I mean, that's just standard Philly behavior. Sounds, yeah, makes sense. Like, I hear that if you're late for class in Philly, that they just throw batteries at you. Like, the teacher gives batteries out if someone's not in yet. And then they walk in, they just fuck. You know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Show them why the rest of you know why you're not late. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that's the fucking Shawn Michaels. Like, what? he's got to be one of the top five ever. So, Michael, let's see. That was WrestleMania 14, they just said. Yeah. It's so WrestleMania 14 was late 90s. It's I don't know exactly, but it's around there. Yeah, 98. Okay. 98. And that was the um was that the Shawn Michaels Undertaker WrestleMania? 14, I think, was Michaels Austin. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, you beat him for the belt. Um, I was never a fan of Shawn Michaels. Even no, it softened a little bit once he got into uh once once he was once DX was like in their heyday, but okay, yeah. So I and this this will prove how <laughs> how little my wrestling. Uh, knowledge was and exactly kind of where I fell off when he double crossed Marty Jannetty to break the rockers up. That's when I was like, I'm done with you, Shawn Michaels. I'm a Mar- <laughs> I'm a fucking Marty Jannetty guy all the fucking way. I was wow. heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that means he did his job though. That was the point, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's like I um. I hated, I hated Joaquin Phoenix like initially, at a different time. <laughs> okay. I'm back and forth with Joaquin Phoenix his whole career, but I hated him for a stretch of years around when Gladiator came out, and then I was like, "This because he did it right. He, right, he, he was the asshole. worst fucking person in that movie. Yeah. He was an awful fucking person." I was like, all right, cool, back on board. And then he got fucking weird and was like, ah, I don't know with this fucking guy again. And then he was really good in fucking Joker, or at least I would say. Okay. I still did not see that. but I highly recommend it. I liked all it. Right. But uh, yeah, 
So uh, I clearly backed the wrong horse in the rockers. <laughs> in the rockers split. <laughs> oh, like if you were to text Marty or like figure out a way to contact Marty Janetti and, and tell him you had you had 75 bucks if he could find his way to you to hang out and you'd give it to him and also get him drunk. You definitely have more of a chance of Marty Janetti showing up for that than Shawn Michaels. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even get Shawn Michaels on Cameo. You can get Marty Janetti to come right. to your house. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, Sh- Shawn Michaels is at the point where he's like, no, I'm done with crack. Marty Janetti's like, who said crack? <laughs> <laughs> who didn't say crack? So I know right. who to not talk to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, there's an amazing. Sorry, we're going to get derailed talking wrestling. But there's Joey Janela told a story. He's he's a more modern wrestler, but he told the story about he was hanging out with with Marty Janetti, and Marty Janetti was trashed. So Joey Janela offered to give him a ride home, and they left the bar, got in the car, and drove around for God knows how long before they got back to the bar. And Marty Janetti was staying across the street from the bar. What is what is that conversation like in the car? Uh, yeah, like is it up this way or yeah, like trying to get directions? <laughs> the dude's just talking about you know I know where some hookers are. And Janelle's like I'm just trying to get you home safely. <laughs> That's the movie. Even though you're staying across the street, you fucking. <laughs> You get him driving you around, so you can uh, you can hornswoggle him into some tomfoolery. Yeah. Right, yeah. Take me to this location where whatever, yeah. Uh, I, this isn't where I live, but if you like, we could totally right. go. <laughs> just, just park. It's not where I live. I'll be back in fifteen minutes. Just stay parked here. <laughs> <laughs> And do you have any money? <laughs> <laughs> also, I need $75. <laughs> I will settle for $75. <laughs> oh. All right. This next one, I know this, this one. This, before we go, this has to be Harlem Heat, right? Yes. Yeah, this okay. is absolutely Harlem Heat. This, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the hardest wrestlings ever made me laugh in my life. <laughs> I like that they put we coming for you exclamation point and right. not we coming for you dot dot dot. Yeah, we coming for you <laughs> comma dot dot dot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Number six, Booker T is coming for Hulk Hogan. Booker T once called Hulk yeah. Hogan the N-word during an interview before a match. What's more, Booker T realized what he had done instantly holding his face in his hands with utter regret. It's now a wrestling yeah. legend, and we strongly suggest you go find it on YouTube. <laughs> I fucking love Props that one. Props to Mean Gene for not missing a fucking beat. He was just like, all right, Stevie Ray, and turns with it, like, and Booker T went head and hands and everything, and Mean Gene did not even, like, he just steamrolled right through it, pretending yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. Like, Booker T recognized it initially, 
And from what I hear, Mean Gene has still not acknowledged that it happened. Oh, wow. That's how good he is. I think he probably took it to his grave, then I think he passed away. He took the thing that he saw, that everybody saw on national television to his grave. Never happened in his eyes. Fucking professional. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, man. Took my glasses off. Number five, five. I bet this is about Robert. If you've just had neck surgery, you probably don't want a bunch of muscular dudes using you as a human shield, unless you're just weird or a sucker for punishment. I'm pretty sure it's just a big fat no for all of us, however. Given that Bobby the Brain Heenan just had said operation, he was understandably a little nervous, even if he was just sat at ringside. This escalated to almost comical levels during escalated. a match between Brian Pillman and Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> With Pillman knocked to the floor, he decided to use Heenan as a shield to protect himself from Guerrero's incoming attack. This sent the Brain into straight-up panic mode as he yelled, What the f*** are you doing? in Pillman's direction that was audibly caught on camera. After composing himself, Uh-oh. Bobby did eventually rejoin the commentary team. And also apologize to all involved backstage. All right. Hang on a sec there. So that one. Uh with I, I, I remember I remember uh Bobby the Brain being in a neck brace. I I don't remember Brian Pillman. I I only know the name because of Brian Pillman Jr. Okay. But yeah, I I don't remember Brian Pillman wrestling at all he he was he was the loose cannon brian pillman and and the the name definitely fit he he was a loose cannon for sure he was one of those guys he he blurred the lines between uh kayfabe and reality um he was um him and hogan were a tag not hogan him and austin were a tag team they were the hollywood blondes but his his real claim to fame is he convinced he worked for WCW and he didn't want to work there anymore, mm. but he came up with an angle where he would be like an outsider and kind of harass WCW from the outside. And he convinced Eric Bischoff to release him from his contract for real, because he said, this will add into if people, people will know that I'm still under contract. So you can't say that I'm fired and then have me come in through the crowd, blah, blah, blah. So he convinced Eric Bischoff that the best thing to do would be to release him for real. He got out of his contract, and then instead of doing the angle, he went to work for ECW. And then from ECW, he came to WWF. So he, oh, he pitched pitched the story to get out of his contract <laughs> and did it for real and moved on. I was going to say, if, if, it, if it actually played out the way he was planning, I was like, this motherfucker pulled the departed with his wrestling career. Like, <laughs> <laughs> holy yeah, shit to an but extent yeah even still that's that's pretty fucking awesome like yeah <laughs> it's brilliant no, no 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 watch you let me go and it's gonna be awesome yeah it's gonna like, be people are gonna know job. people are gonna if you say you let me go but don't really let me go people see right through it so the only way to do this for real is you got to do it for real <laughs> and he's peace <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking yeah. Well done, good job there, BP. He's <laughs> dead, right? He is dead. He died uh, in in the prime of his career. It was a like an OD or something in his locker room uh, before. Yeah. Tragically, Dag Nabbit. Well, that's always yeah. fun. 
<laughs> yeah, no wrestlers are wrestlers are they're better now, but back in the day it was like you're on the road five six days a week. They would take something to wake up, take something to go to bed, take something for the pain, to drink to hang it. Like it was just fucking yeah, it was dead. Take a needle to get larger. Yeah, <laughs> all that shit. Yeah. Um. Vince is painted into a corner. What do you do? You know what this one is off the top of your head, based no. off the title and just seeing him with Hornswoggle. I, I thought it was going to be him pulling his quads, but it doesn't look like Hornswoggle. It. Oh, that's right. That was the that was the Leprechaun's name, right? Number Little four, guy, yep. McMahon forced no into a corner. Given that Vince <laughs> McMahon loves the entertainment side of pro wrestling, it's amazing he's only killed himself off once on TV. In true soap opera oh, okay. style, it would come oh. as no surprise if the chairman of the board has blown to smithereens constantly, only to appear back on Monday Night Raw with some clefangled explanation of how he managed to survive. Probably something to do with his grapefruits. In 2007, however, the boss decided to go all the way and ended Vince McMahon appreciation night with his limo exploding and seemingly leaving him deader than Fandango's hopes to have a meaningful role in the company. While WWE began to run storylines of a federal investigation taking place to further the angle and attempt to make it seem real, a true tragedy took place at the same time when one of their employees was involved in a very real (laughs) double murder-suicide. McMahon had no choice but to pull back the curtain as the Benoit investigation took place. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vince, like, I'm gonna fake my death. Benoit <laughs> was like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna reel mine and yeah. several family members. I mean, Benoit, I'm, I'm not sure that he knew wrestling was fake. He was like the the one guy out there that nobody ever told. Like, what do you, you know, you you're not supposed to really punch me, and you're not supposed to, you know. So, I don't know. He took things that far. I'm trying to make a joke in this awful, awful <laughs> tragedy, but it, it it's not really coming out the way I planned. Like, that is the craziest thing ever. Oh yeah, no that that is easily in my lifetime the worst wrestling thing that i could that i can think of. i mean the whole jimmy snooker thing was before I, I knew about wrestling but that that one's up there as well but yeah like that's yeah it it's tough to try to rank horrible things but owen hart dying by an accident from falling from the rafters or this guy murdering his fucking wife and children yeah. and himself Fuck. Yeah, no. I, I, I mean, the accident is tragic, but no, this the because it just and and I, I have trouble separating the like how many Chris Benoit matches have I watched and like holy shit, this is the best fucking thing ever, and then this happens, like I don't, I don't even want to watch the the guy anymore, despite his his amazing body of work, but. Yeah, it's always yeah. that. That's a crazy thing because I I guarantee you, it's not a terribly common. Uh, in the topic of wrestling, the separating the artist from the art, 
type yeah. of thing. And they they don't want that. I mean, right. at least they didn't. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's not not being nearly as fun as we thought. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Crippler, Crippler Crossface. That was him. Yes. There we go. All right, I saved it. <laughs> and the reason they called him the Crippler was based on an accident in ECW where I, I think it was Sabu, where he, he went to flip Sabu up in the air, and it was kind of halfway between Sabu landing, flipping all the way and going on his back or just landing on his stomach, and he only went halfway, he didn't commit enough, mm. and landed right on the top of his head and broke his neck. So... They were like, well, we can go one of two ways with this. We can either <laughs> apologize to everyone or say you did it on purpose and you're the crippler. So, <laughs> you know, which the, one will sell more tickets? <laughs> you know, the thing you're probably going to feel guilty about regardless. Let's let other people in on it. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're going to tattoo that on your shoulder. <laughs> In fact, some could say we might drive you to murder your family at some point down the line. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, that, that was more, the one terrible thing. On your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh Sabu broke his neck a bunch of times, right? Um a couple. I'm not sure. I mean, He's a list of injuries, just the amount of shit that, that he's been through. I remember like, he, he was in a, a match where they replaced the, the ropes with barbed wire, and his bicep got slashed and was profusely bleeding. And what he what he did, because wrestlers don't... His, and this is why when people say wrestling's fake and how can you watch that, I get fucking insulted because if that shit happened in any other sport... They stop the game and get that guy out of there and they put in a replacement. With In the case of Sabu, the show must go on. So he took some of the tape off of his wrist and self-taped this fucking gash in his bicep to try to stop the bleeding so that he could wrestle another 10 minutes or whatever it was and finish it. To a fucking makeshift tourniquet. Yeah. With tape I mean, that is definitely no longer sticky. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... And it's in front of 450 people. It's not even like, <laughs> this isn't the Pontiac Silverdome or anything like that. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a building full of people who drove there in Pontiacs. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's the only connection. Yeah. Fucking Christ. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll get his own whole section. Because he's a fucking maniac. Yeah. Uh, or how not to do business. I don't know what this one is. You? Any thoughts? Any ideas? I don't. Not based on just the title, no. All righty. Number three, Bash at the Beach 2000. Don't be a jabroni man to work yourself into a shoot. Even when a shoot is a work, or a work is a shoot. What's even going on? What's it should have led with Bash at the Beach nonsense? 2000. This is how most pro wrestling fans felt when WCW decided to come up with an angle so stupid and bizarre, stupid. you would have thought they were actively trying to get so people stupid. to turn off their television sets. I like Simon Miller. Jeff Jarrett though. about to square off against Hulk Hogan for the World Championship at Bash at the Beach 2000. Jarrett threw himself to the floor and told the Hulk yeah. to pin him. Confused, Hogan did just that with his foot getting the one two three and winning the match just to drive that nail right into the coffin hulk then grabbed a mic to proclaim that's why this company is in the damn shape it's in 
because of bullshit like this. To confuse the situation even more, this was followed by head writer Vince <laughs> Russo coming out, declaring Bro. what we had just seen Boyd, and setting up a match between Jarrett and Booker T. Forget how dumb all that sounds, because the real <laughs> nonsense comes when you learn that to this day, Hogan and Russo have very different opinions of what occurred that night. One says it was all planned, the other says it was a double cross. What we know for sure is that it's all stupid. <laughs> Man, I the first time I remember retaining who Vince Russo is was watching I think WCW with you obviously because you're in the story and at somebody's house and that's all I got but he was coming down to the ring and I was like who the fuck is Vince Russo you like he used to write for fucking WWE and I was like huh he never did that in WWE and now like the more the more stories they hear about him, specifically the cornet side, which is the opposite side <laughs> of Vince Russo, you could be. But yeah, it, it's it makes sense that it, it was just like, yeah, fine, I'll just write myself into this now because Vince would yeah. never let me do this, but you're just gonna let me do whatever I want. <laughs> the the best way to put Vince Russo is he threw so much shit against the wall, and Vince McMahon told him what stuck. And that's why it was successful because he had all these crazy ideas and Vince would go, all right, those 10 are no good, but that one, I see something in that and, you know, would be able to spin that up into something else. Everything he's done, and it's a track record. It has nothing to do with anybody else's opinion on it. Everything else he's done, WCW, the former TNA, which has now been renamed impact because it's been sold and, and bought and stuff like that. Every, House of Glory, I think, was the other thing he did. Everything he's done has just hemorrhaged money because he's awful. <laughs> yeah. So I guess no other way to put it. I guess what we need, I well, what what the podcast brings us is I'm just gonna throw as much shit against the wall as I can, and then you be the Vince to my Vince. Russo. <laughs> like, All right, that's good. <laughs> Tell you what sticks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one thing out of these 700 things you just suggested. <laughs> I hope so, because Vince knew how to make money. If I have that talent, it would be cool. But as so far, it has not manifested itself. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. It's a, it's yeah. a slow burn. It's it's the right. long con, as they say. Yeah. Um, can you, you don't have to get into the specifics of it. Can you name, at least in your opinion, three Vince Russo's three best things that he contributed to WWE? Okay. Best things that he contributed to WWE. Um, I mean, he, he came up with various, like the, the, corporate rock thing i think he was in, he was involved with that with uh, when the rock turned from the nation of domination and joined the corporation right um naked midian i think that was his idea <laughs> naked midian <laughs> to have midian run around naked uh, <laughs> and maybe katie vick i'm not sure if i think he was still there for that katie vick was when uh the story was that Kane had an ex-girlfriend named Katie Vick who passed away 
and Triple H put on a Kane mask and pretended to make fun of Kane by getting in a coffin and dry humping. (laughs) 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 Yeah, there was was an angle. I mean, Vince Russo, I mean, he's probably responsible for uh, Mae Young giving birth to the hand. Like, for... (laughs) For every that. good idea that we have that he came up with, there's there's a lot of bad ideas. And the, especially because Vince really cared about the top of the card. The rest of the other shit, you know, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> the fact that <laughs> the fact that all that shit made it through. <laughs> yeah. <this> is <laughs> and now that I understand what got through, I definitely I definitely get yeah. why Cornette's upset. <laughs> yeah, it, like they expected us like this is supposed to be a show about a fight. I get that it gets more fantastical than that and people have a disagreement that ends with trying to, you know, cut each other's throat or hit each other with a chair or whatever. So it it's embellished. But you want us to believe that an 80-year-old woman had sex with an African-American man and gave birth to just a white hand? Just <laughs> it was with Mark Henry, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was sexual chalk on himself. <laughs> po- podcast regular Mark Henry, <laughs> right? Yeah, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> How big was the hand that she gave birth to? It was adult male sized. So still, like, like. Way less than an actual baby. It doesn't matter how big the hand was. <laughs> That's not how sperm and egg work. <laughs> You're right. This is still a science-based yeah. based podcast. <laughs> it doesn't glitch out and spit out various body parts. It's all or nothing. It's not a here's the best I got hand. Right. <laughs> 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 oh <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> yeah, so someone wrote that and someone was like, Yeah, that's what that's great. That's what we're gonna put on television. <laughs> God That's the main it. problem with Raw going from three, <laughs> from two hours to three hours. Is yeah, they get more money for sponsorship, but now you got another hour a week to fill with bullshit. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. And what happened first, Raw, Raw going from two to three hours, or uh, SmackDown being a new show? Uh, I think SmackDown first. Nitro was three hours, I remember, because mm-hmm. it was always, and then Raw came in after an hour of Nitro, and Nitro was bigger. It wasn't until Raw got bigger that eventually they got that second show, and then SmackDown came in, and then Raw went, I think from there, Raw went three hours, because it hopped networks and stuff like that, too, but that's, someone can correct me or look that up, but that's that's what my memory uh is telling me. All right. Uh, that hug. I don't remember what this is. Do you remember what this is? No. Not by that name. All right. Number two. 
the curtain call. The curtain yep. call is one of the most infamous <laughs> moments of kayfabe breaking in history, going down when such things were still quite this sensitive. This may take a sec. probably caused a An few actual old times to collapse as the idea of protecting the business was set on fire, thrown out the window, then retrieved before being hurled outside again, sparking intense debate behind the scenes. It all started when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall accepted big money deals to leave the then WWF and join WCW. Aside from being a loss to the company, it was also the final days of the Click, a backstage yeah. group that also contained Triple H and Shawn Michaels. So, given that they were all about to go their separate ways, Triple H and Hall decided to join HBK and Nash in the ring after their match to share one big hug, despite the fact that they weren't meant to be yeah. friends and were feuding with each other and were in Madison Square Garden. It's said that Vince McMahon had agreed to some moment of respect, but what went down was far more than he anticipated. With Michaels being the champ and Hall and Nash on their way out, the entire fallout hit Triple H like a ton of bricks. All right, we'll get to that one yeah. in a minute. But the uh... so how did the curtain call is what they call that? Yeah, I never knew it as that hug. Yeah, how did uh... how did Triple H end up with the brunt of it? Or actually, before we even uh... got to that, so the the match was uh, Nash and uh, HPK. HPK beat Nash, and that was going to be Nash getting out. Dropping the title before uh, to be at, no, so it wasn't a title dropping and it wasn't a televised show, it was like a house show that they had at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I don't remember who the match was, it may have been a tag match. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been Nash and HBK versus Triple H and Razor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have the pairing wrong, regardless, they were supposed to be enemies, they were against each other. We're still at a time where good guys and bad guys are supposed to be believed or kept secret even though we're after i think this is after the steroid trial where vince mcmahon and hulk hogan admitted that this was all a show and stuff like that on the stand which was really the thing that started you know wrestling you know having to admit that it wasn't real but so it was still on, on the fence so two of the guys are leaving one of the guys is the world champion because of this hug, you can't punish the two guys that are leaving because they're gone. And the other guy is your world champion. He's he's your breadwinner, especially in a time where they, they weren't doing as well. They weren't there wasn't ten million viewers. This was before all that stuff happened. Mm. So the only guy that really could get punished was Triple H. Wow. And his punishment was he was supposed to win King of the Ring that year. Mm. So they scrapped him. And they gave it to another guy by the name of Steve Austin. Oh. Yep. And Steve Austin went on to beat Jake the Snake that night. And then Steve Austin went to say, you talk about your Psalms and your John 316. Well, Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And the WWE went on to print money for the remainder of the, the 90s. Oh, man. So, if it, yeah, if it wasn't for that hug. Yeah. Causing Triple H to get penalized, that shit wouldn't went down the way it did. God damn it. See, it's even in wrestling, the the random chaos, just like <laughs> without that, we couldn't have got to here. Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't know that part yeah. of it. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking. Well, I've, Triple H is fine. <laughs> yeah. It, it worked out for yeah, him. He <laughs> <laughs> did all right. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he recovered quite well. Yeah. 
Her. He didn't. He didn't go say the Marty Jannetty route. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be at least one hundred and twenty-five dollars to get Triple H to come <laughs> smoke crack with me. <laughs> so this, uh, the last one, the, the last one is the one, right? That's the one, and I am. Uh, yeah. I am currently in the middle of. Uh, It's three or four different things chopped together, but it's over three hours of Jim Cornette talking about the Montreal Screwjob. Okay, and it's and he, it's still the so best much thing about that. But yeah, go ahead. He was like, Jim Cornette was like, "Well, if you're gonna do that, just screw him over." Like he was saying it like you fucking asshole, and they went, "Oh," <laughs> and that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's fucking crazy too, and the the thing that I loved him saying, him talking about it after knowing the guy who hates kayfabe being broken more than anything in the world, he feels responsible now. He feels guilty for kayfabe being broken on the, like the biggest break of kayfabe. Because fucking because of this, yeah. Because Bret Hart, yeah. Bret Hart went on like talked to newspapers and shit, and that's true. Talked to like yeah. so, <laughs> this thing that he he threw out from being frustrated with being in the same room as Vince Russo, day in and day out, <laughs> it changed the fucking course of rest. So for <clears throat> those who don't know, the Montreal screw job. There was a point in time where Bret Hart was the champion and he was leaving and going to WCW, but he was still the champion. So Shawn Michaels was the person that was going to beat him for said championship. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart hated each other in real life. This this was not that they were able to work with each other, but they fucking hated each other, could not stand to be in the same room. So... Bret Hart did not want to get beat in front of his home crowd by Shawn Michaels. He said, "Let me lo- let let's end it in some kind of draw, or let me win, and then I'll go on Raw and and either lose it there or give it up, or you know he, he, that was that was his plan. He didn't want to lose in Montreal. A couple weeks before this, maybe even months before this." Medusa or Alundra Blaze, who is the female, the women's champion of the WWE at the time, while champion, left to go to WCW television. This was all this NWO stuff. Everybody was jumping ship and on TV, held up the women's WWE women's title and dropped it in a trash can. So you can see where Vince's paranoia was coming in oh, with this already happened. I didn't know this. Now part I got happened. my world. Yeah, yeah. So all that is the setup to Vince being like, "This is bad." If my world champion goes over there and does that, I'm sunk. So I got to figure something out. So that's why his back was against the wall, and he, I guess, was not confident that Bret Hart was going to do what he said he was going to do. Um, so all of this stuff got baked in. And, and again, for those who don't know, what happened was during the match, Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in a move. Uh, the sharpshooter, which is actually Bret Hart's finisher. Vince McMahon ran down, 
told the ring announcer to told the the timekeeper rather to ring the bell told the ring announcer it's over and basically called the match and gave the belt to Shawn Michaels and screwed Bret Hart over and he didn't know this was going to happen so that's that's the Montreal screw job which has gone on to live and again we talk about the dominoes that stacked up the one before this set up Stone Cold Steve Austin as the big good guy this is the thing that created evil Mr. McMahon if it wasn't for this, that whole evil Mr. McMahon character wouldn't happen. And the Austin McMahon feud, which was the the <clears throat> biggest draw in wrestling ever, or you know, in, in, that I can that I know of, yeah. wouldn't have happened without these past two things that were fuck ups. So both both of those both of those characters as we knew in their prime both came out of uh not necessarily mistakes or, but, but just like real life bleeding over yeah. and happenstance in a way. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And it's the, like, I remember. So I was not watching wrestling yet. I was pretty close to watching wrestling, but I hadn't started watching wrestling yet. And, or re getting back into it. And, so all the like the evil Mr. McMahon just coming out just like mid match just saying, Oh yeah, well now I'm gonna do this instead or yeah, something like that. Go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well now I brought out five more wrestlers for you to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and it would just be that, like yeah, because the whole time yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, he can't do this, uh, which is yeah. what everyone's reaction was going. So, like, Cornette right. talks about, and I get from Cornette's standpoint of keeping the kayfabe, but from Vince's standpoint, like, him creating the character of, I run this, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And just somebody's clearly going to win a match. Like, that's that's always been a thing in wrestling. It's when the ref has his back talking to the one tag team partner. The other tag team competitor guy sneaks out and the whole crowd is furious because you can't do that. You're breaking the right. rules. And now the guy running running the company is doing that. It's like, you yeah. can't do this. And like, and he was the announcer and Jack Tunney was the president a couple of weeks before. Like Vince, Vincent K. McMahon was just a, a play-by-play guy <laughs> at the desk. And then all of a sudden, all this up, like, why is he running out there telling the ref to ring the bell? <laughs> and then all that, that's exposed that, okay, he's really the bull. Well, I guess the trial did too, but it, it, it just kind of, yeah, it changed things to he's the piece of shit. And then it turned into he's an abusive boss and <laughs> I am a beer drinking, you know, blue collar kind of guy. and. Yeah, hit him with another stunner. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, like that's I think Stone Cold and the Rock is definitely what got me back into wrestling. That's what got everybody yeah. into wrestling. Everybody back in, yeah. Yeah. They were doing they they were beating Monday Night Football. They were doing 10 million viewers between the two shows. The, like when I say they, like wrestling, WCWN, WWE, or WWF, it was at the time. Right. Like between the two shows, 
there were over 10 million people watching professional wrestling on Monday nights in- instead of football. That's yeah. wild, dude. Yeah. I mean, football still did their numbers, but it was, I think it was less than 10 million at the time. Yeah. It, yeah. it was still, I mean, if, if you get, they did all right. If, yeah. If, football was fine. Football did fine. If you're going to go to <laughs> back to Sliffs, uh, Sliffs, ugh, we should end this soon. If you go to back to Slicks, <laughs> laws of wrestling dynamics, I mean, rule number th- three, which is rule number one. Right. Start with two, three. two men beat one man. Every time. Yeah. And so two wrestling shows were beating one football show. So it was still outnumbered, <laughs> but <laughs> still, you know, abides by the laws of nature. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um this this is supposed to be like, like 15, 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> The recording stops Maybe my Wi-Fi signal drops So is the song with the dead air crop Or else it'll sound like shit Yeah, so let's watch the rest of this video Like I said Okay Oh, you know what's great is we get to play the fucking song again Yeah Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nice <laughs> And hopefully this will be a different audience. <laughs> Number one, the Montreal Screwjob. Is there a more talked about situation in all of pro wrestling than what happened at the Survivor Series 1997? Still debated and touched on today, it will live in infamy forever. Hell, if aliens ever land on this planet, I would bet someone eventually musters up the courage to ask, so... Who do you think was to blame for the Montreal Screwjob? Kicking into gear when Bret Hart opted to join WCW, the question remained as to how the hitman would drop his WWF title. Being that the Survivor Series was taking place on his home turf of Canada, coupled with his personal animosities towards that evening's opponent Shawn Michaels, Bret allegedly struck a deal with McMahon to drop the championship on Raw the next night instead. But what if Hart went against his word? And what if he showed up on the rival program with the title like Ric Flair had done with the WCW belt during his WWF tenure? What if? What if? What if? One would assume all this was too much for Vince to gamble on, ordering Earl Hebner to stop the match when HBK applied the sharpshooter to Brett, even though that wasn't the finish of the match. Sean was the champ, Hebner got out of dodge in a pre-prepared car, and Vince got punched in the face by Hart for screwing him over. Despite knowing nearly every move that happens behind the scenes, pro wrestling can still surprise us with the odd moment of reality in front of the cameras. Let us know of any more in the comments below, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can even get me on Twitter at SimonMiller316. I'm yeah. Simon from What Culture. Yeah. I'll chat to you again. We'll give him a plug. Yeah, I love we, Simon Miller. Yeah, we use we're using his video. The least we can do is get seven more people to know who he is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've been watching ups and downs for years simon so <laughs> do me a solid and don't sue me <laughs> um what did, right before, in the beginning of that the uh i didn't know rick flair brought wcw's belt onto wwf yeah, that was the the big gold belt. There's a whole. That's what, remember he was coming in in like the early '90s as the real world champion. He was calling himself. Mm-hmm. There was a split between the NWA and WCW or Jim Crockett Promotions or that that whole thing. It was like it was all intertwined. 
And then the NWA was like, we don't want Ric Flair to be our champion anymore. Or WCW didn't want Ric Flair. Whichever it was, there was a, a, a division between the two of them where WCW then went on to crown their own new champion and Ric Flair mm. left as the NWA champion and came to WWE or WWF with that belt. And it was calling himself the real world champion and all that. Oh, stuff. okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There was like a whole political behind the scenes stuff. It's not quite the same as what the, uh, the chick who took the, uh, the, no, uh, not exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think back that was, then that was probably a more egregious offense out of the, the two, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, Ric Flair still represented himself as he was coming in saying, "This is the title that matters. Your title is garbage." Versus coming in and saying, "This title that I have is garbage from that other place." Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a little bit, a little nuance there. A lot, of, a lot of nuance in this wrestling, huh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the, and that's the best. This behind the scenes shit is is like it adds so much to what's going on on screen. I don't know. It's kind of it does like that's that's what in the last five six years that's what's got me like looking more shit up again, and then it's like. All right, cool. I remember this thing happening. No, what was really happening? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That was always my uh, complete subject jump. This is a. This is a vernacular joke. <laughs> I remember people like fifteen, twenty years years ago asking, like, "Yo, what's really good?" And the qualification of really was always like in my head. It was like. Someone saying, yo, what's good? Nothing. Yo, what's really good? It's like, um, we're going out later. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I, didn't, I wouldn't know what to do with it when I heard it. <laughs> yeah, when I hear what's really good, my first thought is corn pops. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I haven't had those in forever. Those are good as shit. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's as good a place to pull out as, as ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys of science at all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you wouldn't be here without that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we think yeah. it uh, depends on our hashtags, I guess. But yeah, there's a good chance that yeah. you already know us. You know, what? let's be professionals. I'm Charles. I'm Chris. And under the guise of science, guys spelled G-U-I-S-E at gmail.com on Facebook and Instagram. Where else we got? We are also on the YouTube. We're also on TikTok, both at Under the Guise of Science. On Twitter, we are at Science Guys. Again, <laughs> always G U I S E. Which that Twitter account is apparently a good follow, I've just been told this evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's me being an asshole. <laughs> Enjoy. Enjoy this new content. Yeah.